Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Adam, and today, as always and forever probably, I'm talking to myself. And uh, I wanted to um, kind of dive into something a little bit deeper, something that's becoming more universal. Um, I guess I'd say it's always universal, but something more prominently universal, and that's, that's anxiety, something that we've all felt at some point, to some degree, even if it wasn't crippling or socially disruptive or disruptive in life in general. We've all been anxious about something. We've all been, you know, maybe uneasy or maybe just anxious in an excited way. Like, oh, I can't wait to do this or I can't wait to see this person or, you know, whether it's one of those habits where you ever have somebody who's sitting in a room and, and all of a sudden their legs bouncing up and down a bunch and they're pretty much shaking everything off of your cabinet walls and, yeah, cabinet walls, <laughs> your shelves and your cabinets and, and things like that. That even, to some degree, is a level of anxiety. Like they're they're either feeling like they're waiting for something, or something's about to happen, or they're nervous to be sitting still for a long time. I have a friend all the time that no matter where we are, I have to reach out and like punch his leg to remind him that he's doing it because he doesn't realize he's doing it. He's shaking the whole room. So I'm like, boom, and I hit him real quick. Again, not hard, but just that way he knows, like, hey, you're doing it again. Because sometimes people with you and just that subtle level level of anxiety, they don't realize that they're doing that, you know. Um, and so it kind of. That's actually what stemmed me to think that I should probably talk about this a little bit more is because um, up until maybe almost five years ago, I don't know if I ever really truly, I mean, I knew that people could be anxious. I knew of people who had anxiety, like like more crippling or, or disruptive anxiety than like the normal levels that we feel day to day. Um, but uh, like you could be have anxiety just because you're going to the dentist or something. It's just, you know, things that sometimes just eager to get over with but um anxiety in a, in a greater sense that, that can be a little bit more um i keep using the word disruptive but that's the best way i can describe it is it disrupts a, a lot of comfort it disrupts your life disrupts your uh, ability to communicate sometimes or to be communicated to um and uh to go to work to be social to go outside to be in crowded spaces, anything of that sort. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I am a professional at this or that I am somebody who studies the art. As you guys all know, that's my disclaimer, is I'm not somebody who's doing a load of research. I'm just describing my interactions with things and my interpretations of things. And uh, hopefully this gives some perspective or maybe even start a conversation because, I mean, I'm still learning about a lot of these things. And I think it's important that... um, that we share, you know, sharing is good. So anyway, uh, anxiety, right? So uh, the best way that I think that I can get into this conversation more than anything is to describe when uh, when I experienced it firsthand. Um, now I can't recall if I mentioned this at all on a previous episode. Part of me feels like I did, but it's been so long now I can't remember. Gosh, you can remember that long ago. Um, but anyway, the the first time, well. Again, I'm going to say firsthand, although I should start with one that I experienced severe anxiety with secondhand because it actually helped me for my firsthand account. So uh, I used to work at this retail bank. And uh, if you don't know what a retail bank is, a retail bank is essentially it is a bank where the people behind the counter do everything. So in a lot of banks, there's people who open accounts or people who just take deposits or cash checks or there are people who do like business loans like they they have like people to do everything but at a real t- at a retail bank they pay you more because you're trained to do everything you do all the things instead of just there being a department for that so 
I was working at this retail bank, and this bank happened to be inside of a Walmart. So, like, you're there, and your whole clientele is hoping to see if customers that are passing by in the store might need a bank account and come see you. Um, so anyway, I was working with this other guy who had the same name as I did, and um, Adam, in case you're curious. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why this happened. It was so weird. Um, but one day, he... Uh, he, I got called into work because he just kind of was kind of not comatose. He was on what's the word I'm looking for? Where like he just like was was frozen up. He wasn't he wasn't moving. He wasn't responding. He was catatonic. I think that's the word. Um, and uh, I got called in by my boss, and she said, "Hey, Adam's like acting really weird. He's I think he's sick or something. I can't tell." Do you mind coming in? Like, we're closing in an hour. You can come in in your street clothes. Can you just come in? Um, I live locally, so she called me in to... So I came in to just check on him uh, and just cover the rest of the store. So uh, when I come in, he was just, like, staring at the floor, and he, like, wasn't moving very well. And, like, so I went in, and I grabbed a hold of his hand, and his hands were freezing. Um, and he wasn't moving very well, and I tried to get him to stand up, and he couldn't. I tried to take his temperature, and he was freezing. And I was like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, I couldn't figure it out. His heart was racing. Like, it was so fast. And I didn't know what was happening at the time. I didn't consider anxiety at all. Um, so we had actually uh, called him uh, an ambulance. We, You know, I had helped him out uh, and got him to the, to, the, to the hospital. And I had followed behind them. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up just... We had hung there for the hour. I just let him sit there just to see if anything would improve. And I helped close the store. And then I, I did that. So I got there, and I was with him all night, and they ran a bunch of tests, uh, and he was fine. And by the time the couple hours passed that they were running all these tests, he was he was talking, and, you know, and he says, I don't know what's going on. You know, and I, I started doing a bunch of searches about the, his symptoms, and, and just because I couldn't, you know, the, the doctors are very busy, and they're like, I don't know, we just weren't seeing them very often. They took blood and everything, and uh, I just, when the guy came in, yeah, one of my searches showed up that, you know, pot, like, clammy hands and 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 these cold sweats and racing uh, heart I thought you know one of the surgeons come up said uh, it might be he might be having a panic attack and I was like holy shit he might be he might have just had a panic attack though again I don't know if I ever really found out what caused this panic attack there might have been something else going on in his life maybe I just can't remember uh, I don't know it's been a long time now um but a panic attack. So I asked the doctor, I said, do panic attacks look like this? And, well, actually, I didn't ask the doctor. I asked one of the gals, uh, one of the nurses that were coming in. Um, and uh, one of the gals said, well, it's very possible. He does have symptoms of it. You know, I'll go run up by the doctor. So she ran up by the doctor, and the doctor came back, and she said, uh, yeah, well, you know what? He could have been having a panic attack, too, because his tests are clean. He doesn't seem like he has anything going on. Uh, she's came, she came in with good news. She goes, well, good news. We can't find anything wrong with you. Um... And I, had, the reason I had asked about that was I said, look, he's not faking or anything. Like, he's not somebody who's trying to get drugs or anything. Like, he legitimately just was pretty much catatonic when, <laughs> when I went to work. Um, and um, so a few days later, we are at work, and he was starting to have one like it again. And I had recognized it. Um, I had recognized it because of that before. And I was like, oh, crap man, I wish I could remember what I think was causing it because he had a couple days in a row. And uh, even at the hospital, he had gotten a call, funny enough, when we had left um, the hospital that night, he had a voicemail from his friends who were trying to prank him, and they didn't know that he was in the hospital that night. 
So, like, this was just very ironic that this had all happened. Uh, is that ironic? I feel like it's ironic because of, of what happened. Because of all the things his friends could have been calling him to prank him about, they were pranking him about a hospital visit. So they left him a message that said, Hey, Mr. Well, I don't want to say his last name. They said, Hey, Adam, this is, this is your doctor calling you. Um, we just found out that after we ran your blood work that you have, I don't know, I think they said HIV or something. I can't remember. And I, I had... Uh, no, I, so I didn't follow him in the, in the ambulance, actually. I remember riding in the ambulance because I had to call a friend to come and pick us up to take him home. That's what it was. So my, my friend had come and picked us up, so I was in the back seat with him, and he had listened to this voicemail. That's what it was. And they said something about HIV, and, like, his eyes went the same way that he looked when we were in, in the bank. And I was like, holy crap. And I was like, I was like, Adam, what are you, what's going on? Like, what's wrong? Oh, he got really cold. And so he's, he, he was talking a little bit, and he says, he says, my doctor called, I have HIV. And I was like, there's no freaking way. Your doctor just called and said you have HIV. So I played the voicemail, and he dropped the phone before the end of the message, and his friends were laughing at the end of the message, but he, that's all he heard was HIV, and he started to panic again. And I was like, holy crap. Like, he's legitimately having a panic attack. Uh, and so once he realized it was his friends that were joking, he relaxed and called them right back and just reamed them out. I mean, those poor guys, they didn't know. You know, but... Um, so I had recognized what that looked like. Um, and so anytime... He had a couple throughout the week, but, like, once he realized it, I knew I just had to get him away from everybody and just you know, distract him. I'd put on like YouTube videos or something of just to have him focus his mind elsewhere. Um, and that seemed to work for him. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but for him, it was just like, I was like, Hey, we got to distract you. Come back in the back room and, you know, watch this funny video I found or something. So he'd watch it. And then 10 minutes later, he'd relax and come out. So the reason I share this is because a few years later, I had left the bank. Um, and I had gotten a job at a state farm. Part of me really feels like I told you guys this, but I'm going to bring it up again anyway. Um, you know, I was told my whole life that you work through the, the grunt jobs, work through the customer service, the retail, the sales jobs, all those things, so you get the nice, cozy office job where you you have your own clients and your own desk and your own computer and your own big office, and people answer to you, and you do all these things. And I was like, okay, well, that's what, what my dream is. So when I left the bank, I had a good relationship with my State Farm agent, actually, and I called him up because I saw that he had an ad on Indeed.com. And so I said, hey, you know what? I know that I don't have my insurance license or anything, but like, if you have any work, you know, I'd love to get some experience, maybe try something new. Got the job. Um, and he said, you know what? We're going to take it. We're going to try something. We're going to pay for you to get your schooling here in-house while you learn to work for us on the job. That way you can, we can ex expedite this whole thing and make everything as, 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 as swift and easy as possible. I said, okie dokie, you got it, bro. So... Um, after the first, within the first week and a half of me working there, like training was fine, but then I realized nobody talks there. It's always dead silent, uh, except for when you're making calls or getting calls. No one talks to each other. They, this office is small, but everybody communicated through this chat interface through State Farm. So even if I wanted something from the girl that worked in the room, literally right next to mine, instead of going out and talking to her, everybody communicated through this chat. And it was so weird. So that was already awkward for me. But I realized that interacting with people on the phone wasn't enough. And I, I realized this after the fact, by the way. I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, one of the days that I was there, I started having blurry visions. Like like the computer in front of me, the screen in front of me was shaking a lot. It was going like back and forth, like real quick, like convulsing. And at first I thought my computer screen's busted. 
And then I looked at the desk, and then I looked at the ceiling, and I looked at my feet, and I looked at my hands, and I was like, holy crap, my eyeballs are doing this. Um, and all of a sudden, I got very cold, uh, and I remember just feeling freezing, and I remember just laying my head down on my desk, and tears just started streaming down my face. And I was like, I, I, I remember just thinking, like, I don't, what the hell is this? So, like, it took me a while, and I was like, okay, like, what's happening to me? Why, why is this happening? And again, hadn't I experienced what happened with the other Adam, I don't know if I would have taken this as well as I did, because I was already feeling overwhelmed. So I actually called my boss's phone. He's in the other room, but I couldn't raise my voice. Like, my, my voice just felt like it was sucked out of me. All I could get was like a faint, like, whisper out of my throat. And um, I remember just calling him and saying, hey, I think, I think I'm having a panic attack. I, I can't be certain, but I think I'm having a panic attack. Can you come out here? Uh, and he didn't know how to handle it, you know, and I don't hold it against him, but he goes, so what do you want me to do? Uh, what do you want me to get? Are you hungry? Should I get you some water? Should I call a doctor? What, you know, and I appreciated him, but, but he looked like he didn't have any time for it. But, you know, I said, I said, just grab my hand, man. And he grabbed my hand and he goes, holy crap. Like you feel like you just went swimming. And I was like, <laughs> you know, so he said, just take your time with this. Like I'll cover your phones. If you get called, just do what you have to do. So I crawled into, I literally crawled into the bathroom after he had left. I crawled across the room into the bathroom, and I called a former roommate of mine who I remembered experienced day-to-day anxiety, like sometimes crippling, but just some things he just couldn't do or was very uncomfortable doing. So I said, you know, and I said, hey, I know you've had panic attacks before. How do you handle them? What do you do? Like, how do I, how do I get through this? Because like maybe just talking to you will help. I don't know because I was like I just felt very weak and very uh, I didn't have control over anything. Um, and so I had called him, and eventually he just said, you know, sometimes you just have to wait it out. Um, you know, sometimes you have to distract yourself. Sometimes it's just time. He's like, you just, it's just something that just has to go through you. And so just make sure that someone's around you if it gets worse. You know, you need someone to get you to a doctor or someone to distract you or someone to, you know, just be there in case, like, your symptoms get worse and maybe your heart starts racing too fast or something. But his advice was, he says, Adam, you just, sometimes you just got to wait it out. You know, and just, <laughs> and he said to me, he said, sometimes I just curl up in a ball on the floor and just, you know, uh, like blanket myself until I feel secure. And I was like, okay, I could, I could do that. And by that point, just talking to him, my brain was focusing on something else. And I always felt, I already felt myself relaxing. And, um, then I recalled, I recalled something that like, weirdly enough, I think I blocked out was probably a day or two before any of this had happened. I was in my car after walking out to the parking lot with everybody else that worked there, and I got in my car, and I stayed in there for a long time staring at my steering wheel. And I don't remember thinking about anything, uh, but I remember I remember feeling my hand shaking, and I remember feeling like very overwhelmed with sadness. And I don't remember, again, like I think my brain just skipped over that for those next couple days, but then after I got off the phone with my former roomie, I was like, I was like, now that I'm thinking about it, was I having a panic attack in my car? Like some type of anxiety attack because it was so weird. Well, usually I just put it in gear and head out, but I just stared. And I was like, why did I do that? Um, and anyway, so like it, after it, it happened a couple times over the course of the next week, and I said, I think I realized what it was. And I stopped telling my boss about it because I didn't want him to think that I was inept at my job. But... I remember realizing that, like, I'm not happy here. I don't like this. This is not what I want. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, oh, well, you know, maybe it'll get better. 
But I think somewhere in the confines of my mind, my brain said, this is not what you want. You are just going to keep fighting through this until ultimately you freak out on somebody or until you quit. And um, I thought, man, my body's trying to tell me, my brain is trying to tell me something that I don't know if I'm willing to acknowledge yet, which is my whole life I worked towards having this office job, this I had a, they gave me the biggest office in the building, man. I had a bigger office than the owner. Like, the office I had, like, they were trying to groom me to be the guy. Because the main guy, like, he, he does, he deals with, like, the bigger stuff. But, like, like, they were grooming me. Like, the gal that had worked there longer than me shared, like, a little cubicle spot behind the, the lady who ran the front desk. She didn't even have a whole office. They were giving that to me. I felt like I should have had that little cubicle space, and she should have had what I got. But they gave me everything I, I imagined that an office job would be. You know, and I was like, my whole big office and my phone and this high-end computer and my whole client list and, and all these customers they were giving to me. And I remember thinking that I'm going to seem so ungrateful that they're taking a shot on this guy that didn't even have trained to do this. And I, I think I was feeling guilty there, too, that I'd have to tell him that. Um, and I remember just thinking, this isn't what I want. This isn't who I am. This isn't where I want to be my whole life is a lie like they told me I wanted this all my teachers told me I wanted this my family told me I wanted this you do the grunt work until you get the office job and then you're the big shot and it it wasn't it wasn't for me and I thought well what the hell do I do and when I realized that that was my my mind trying to tell me that something has to change the the anxiety went away well a lot of it did but then I just had to face the fear of telling them and then face the fear of going into the unknown because like where, where do I go from here you know and um, I ended up at a job that I never thought I'd be at um, <laughs> which is teaching people how to dance uh, and that's a whole other story for another time that maybe I'll share let me write that down I'll tell you guys about that um, how I became a dance instructor uh, because that one is also quite an interesting uh, story that is tied into this one which I could share, but I've been trying not to run these podcasts as long as I had the last couple episodes because I, I get on a roll sometimes, so I want to stick to certain time limits so I don't seem wishy-washy. But, you know, I'll, I'll tie this and I'll call that part two or something uh, because this story does come with a, a happier ending. But anyway, um, the reason I brought that up is because, uh, like, that was, I had it, for personally, I had to experience it a severe case through someone else um, and then experience it firsthand myself and I gotta tell you as hard as that was and as frustrating as that was I have been far more educated just from experiencing that alone and um, I remember I remember getting into a fight with a former roommate actually the guy that I had called uh, because he accused me of not being a, a, a compassionate person. But it also had to do with anxiety, and I had made a comment once saying, like, well, if you know that being in crowded places makes you anxious, then don't go to, like, conventions. We were talking about somebody who had a panic attack at a convention, and I was like, and I had said to him, like an anime convention, and I had said, well, if you know that that's what makes you anxious and you know that that's like your trigger, then why would you go into it? That's like saying, like, I'm allergic to bees. I'm going to go play with bees. Like, because you know, they may not, they may not sting me this time. Or I may go to this place and I may not panic. 
Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to step out of your comfort zone or anything, but that's what started the fight. And I realized that while I still hold a lot of that opinion to myself as, as how I feel, I do realize that, like, I how insensitive I probably was being to him at the time because I didn't really understand what he was going through or what his friend that he had mentioned was going through. Um, you know, and, and I realize that, like, you have to do some exposure in small increments to get past certain things if you truly want to get over some of these anxieties that you have, or at least these fears that you have, because everybody has anxiety for different reasons. Sometimes it is fear-based. I mean, mine was fear-based to a degree, um, and sometimes not so much fear that it is just, uh, just not knowing. Um, and hell, hell, while I'm there, you might just be fearing the unknown. Maybe it is all fear-based. I don't know. Again, I don't profess to be a doctor or a psychologist or psychiatrist or anything of that iatrist or ology, uh, <laughs> but, um, I do remember, I remember that a lot anytime that I, I'm considering when somebody else is having trouble with something that I would find to be easy or to be, um, uh, the phrase that I often say is, what seems like a mountain to some person might be a molehill to me, um, and I have to understand that. Now, there are some things that you can help somebody get through easier, like if it is a fear, something like a fear of spiders, like just realizing that you can step over a spider and it's not going to kill you. But like, if you're afraid of being around people and I know that, then I'll stay near you. Like as your support blanket, I'll initiate, or if I know that you're somebody who maybe it's not crippling anxiety, but if you're somebody who has a hard time initiating conversations, like I know people who won't tell the waitress or the waiter that they're that their food is bad, their food is cold, and they'll just sit in silence and discomfort instead of having to initiate a conversation. And it's not even that they want—they don't want to inconvenience them; they just don't want to talk because they're anxious about it. And it's not crippling enough that like they can't be out in public at a restaurant, but it's it's disruptive. And um, so if I know that about them, then I'll be the one to say, "Hey, would you mind?" Um, or I'll ask permission first. Cause and sometimes I won't, you know, if I'm being honest. Sometimes if, I, if I'm very intimate with the person, if I know them well enough, I'll say, I'm going to ask them for you, okay? And I said, you don't have to say anything. Or I said, if I ask them if you have anything that you want done with it, you can chime in. And sometimes I'll say, no, 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 no. And again, I know that that's them freaking out. But I also know this is one of those situations where it's not going to shatter their mind if it happens. So it just depends on the person. If I know somebody's a lot more, if they're triggered much easier than the other, then I won't do that. I'll ask them if it's okay. If I ask them or I'll say, hey, or I'll make it up. I'll say something like, well, hey, you know what? I wanted X and Y anyway, so I'll stop them. And then if you want to ask them about your food, you can since I have something that I want for me. And I find that that works sometimes too is just trying to make it about me so that they feel like I'm putting less spotlight on them. Um, and in that case, like I'm just trying to help with like a little bit of immersion therapy, but you know, but, but, but that's a case by case thing. I wouldn't recommend just throwing people. Not everybody can be kicked into the pool. You know, some people will sink, uh, <laughs> you know, so you have to, you have to know the people well enough. You can't just do that to someone, especially if you don't know them. So I'm not saying to go and try to fix people's anxiety because you don't just fix people's anxiety. But in that case, that's me with somebody I know intimately trying to help them. Or if it's somebody that I'm still getting to know, then, uh, I'll either change the subject or if they really don't care, then you know just let them let them sit and whatever whatever they got but anyway I'm kind of getting ahead of myself the point is that like I try to be more understanding of it because I you know you always think that you're an understanding and 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 compassionate person and you may be but when you haven't experienced some of the struggles that other people go through it's 
you know, it's not, it's not that you can't be sympathetic, but I think it's easy to assume that because it's not troubling for you, that it shouldn't be that troubling for them. Uh, and my experience with just that, that, those panic attacks myself have really showed me that, again, not that I struggle with stuff day to day that way, but since I know how crippling that can be and how paralyzing that can be, like physically, that, you know, I don't know if that's what they deal with all the time or if it's anywhere that bad, but I try not to assume anything anymore because um, anxiety is a real bastard. So if you experience that, and I realize a lot of people do, I think it's probably one of the most common things that we as a collective people experience in our country, maybe throughout the world, I don't know. Um, is it usually some type of social anxiety or, or, or future anxiety or just unknown? And um, if you're somebody who experiences that, man, um, you know, kudos to you for sticking sticking through life and, and continuing. And I hope that you're able to little by little step through that barrier and, 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 and conquer those fears and anxieties that you have. Uh, I, know that, I know that sucks. And, um, you know, there are people that will listen. And uh, just know that whatever it is that you're feeling, if it's real to you, it's real to you. And uh, I hope that you find that strength to push through it. And you, may, you, you yourself may think, ah, this is dumb. I, don't, I hate that I'm, I feel this way. I, like this, it's, we, I, it's dumb that I'm afraid of this or it's dumb that I'm anxious about this. Or, like even if intellectually you know that it's something that you can get over, hey, like your heart feels the way your heart feels. So it's not to say that you should wallow in it forever, but if you, if you think that you can push through it and that you can inch your way through um, these fears and anxieties that you have, then do that at your own pace, man. You don't have to impress anybody or improve for anybody but yourself. And as long as you have that that bargain in mind, that you just you're trading you're trading your own fears for more freedom, then that's then that's you. You do you, man. You do you, lady. You do yins, as the Pittsburghers say. <laughs> Um, but seriously though, I, I, I applaud you for, for facing your fears every day and, and for stepping out of your comfort zones and just know there are people that care about you and I want to help you out. And I'm here for you too, because, you know, I know that sucks and there are a lot of people that can empathize with you. So, um, yeah, that was good. It was good to get that out. Whew. And look at that. And through all that thing, I still went 20 some minutes. Damn it, Adam. No, I definitely can't tell you about my dance thing. Another time, I suppose. But anyway, let's wrap this puppy up. Um, so to all of you out there, whether you're somebody who's anxious or you're not, whether you're somebody who who cares about the subject or if you're somebody that does, somebody that do, perhaps, <laughs> um, just know that I care about you nonetheless. I hope that you're good to good to everyone that you talk to and just try to be a little bit more understanding of their what, could, what their story could be. And hopefully they'll try to be understanding of yours as well. So anyway, that's it. Wrap, let's wrap this puppy up. So as always and forever, sincerely, I hope that you are taking care of that precious temple, that mind of yours. Keep it strong. I hope that you're taking care of your heart. You know, be free with your love, but, you know, protect it when you need to. And most importantly, and as always with this whole concept of anxiety, I hope that you're taking care of each other and yourselves. Because I think it's really important to feel connected to somebody, even if you think you're a lone wolf. So take care of your mind. Take care of your heart. Take care of each other, baby. And I will see you soon.